Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight from Quarter to Three is Charter Panelist Tom Chick. Tom, I, I, it's good to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here, and I love how official you sound. I'm yeah. expecting to hear something about the unrest in Egypt now. That was like the McNeil Lair News Hour or something. That's so awesome, Rob. You you have the the proper amount of gravity for a strategy gaming podcast. <laughs> Well, see, I'm actually going to slowly evolve it into a video games and foreign affairs podcast. <laughs> so I'm working up to that. It's beautiful. Uh, thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Uh, and I'm glad we're talking RTSs instead of these these uh, weird little war game things that you have Bruce Garrick come on to talk about. Uh, also joining us tonight is Irrational's Chris Remo. Chris, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I'll just say thanks a lot. Excellent. I just want you to know you haven't won anything. <laughs> I don't need an excuse to say thanks. Thanks. <laughs> For All reminding right. me I haven't won anything. <laughs> All right. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about the state of multiplayer RTSs in the age of StarCraft. Um, this has been on my mind lately since I've been working on a piece uh, asking whether other RTSs can really thrive online when StarCraft II... Um, really enjoys this thriving and really serious-minded community. Um, so that's that's part of what I want to look into. Uh, and the other the other thing I wanted to discuss is is what makes a successful community um, beyond just selling a lot of copies and having a lot of people to fill that community. Uh, what can developers do to promote uh, multiplayer uh, for their RTS? So I, I thought we'd we'd start off though discussing uh, how RTSs are faring with with uh, StarCraft. You know, enjoying this robust community. I don't, are there I other wanna, RTSs? I think that's the only one these days, isn't it? I actually want to want to quickly mention as we start this discussion that what I was doing when um, when Rob, I got the the Skype call from you to start this up was watching a match in the GSL Team League. Um, I'm in the middle of the uh, second round of matches of the current StarCraft League that's running this month, so that's. Uh, I'll just open with that. That's you're it. in. You're actually what competing doing. in this league. You're part. I am of definitely this not. No, but I oh. was watching. I was watching the, uh, you know, the. Uh, I was just in the middle of one of the games. So this watching. is your. This is your football season. It is. It absolutely is. No, actually, when um, a friend pointed this out to me, and it wasn't even intentional that I did this, but um, right in the middle of the Super Bowl, um, which I wasn't watching, uh, I tweeted a link to a really epic 30-minute match between... Uh, StarCraft II match, that is, between um, Idra and MVP, two, two high-level players. Um, and I then realized, in retrospect, it was unintentionally one of those sort of stupid nerd, like, Super Bowl protest posts where I go out of my way to say I'm not watching the Super Bowl, which I actually really hate. I hate when people do that. Yeah. But I, I totally inadvertently did it to post about a StarCraft game. So that happened. Nice move. Well, there there goes your uh, jock cred. I know all of my hard all that work. hard one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all, all my my uh, my deep knowledge and my appreciation in the football community. I'm squandering I, it. I was really about to be impressed, Chris. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were talking about this as if you were in this actual league. God, no, no. There are so many. Chris is actually quitting irrational to go play yeah. Starcraft. He and, he and Brecken are going to you know quit their jobs and run yeah. away to Korea. Yeah, play Korea on. has drafted you. <laughs> they're starting up. They're starting up a two v two league for scrubs. So we're all set. Uh, Chris, what does GSL stand for? Uh, the GSL is the Global Starcraft Two League. It's uh, oh. it's global in the sense that anyone can enter it, but it's actually really difficult if you aren't based in Korea, because all the preliminaries are all um, in person. You can't, you can't compete over Battle.net. So um, they've actually, the, they're in the, um, they're, they've adopted a really interesting month-long season format, which is, which is very unusual. In the past, StarCraft leagues also always took much longer than this. But as a result, they've been evolving it very quickly every month. And so they've gotten to the point now where they've, I think they've realized there's actually a much, much, much bigger overseas audience than than there was for StarCraft One. In fact, from from what I've heard, the the overseas audience watching the current the current GSL leagues um, is rivaling and in some casing in some cases eclipsing that of the the Korean uh, audience for this particular league. So 
they've been going out of their way to fly out uh, a lot of the top level uh, Western players. Uh, they have a house now set up in in Seoul where a number of foreigners stay and can practice and get in shape for this league. So they're they're there's it's actually they're starting to live up to the name of Global Starcraft League, but it still is largely dominated by South Koreans. Now I want to so I want to ask Chris since you've sort of followed this stuff. Uh, and Rob, this will tie into I think what what we're wanting to talk about here. How important is that uh, sort of esports phenomenon to a a multiplayer community in an RTS? Is is that some niche of StarCraft, or is that a fundamental part of StarCraft success? You know, I think I think particularly with StarCraft Two, I think actually what it is is basically a Venn diagram where StarCraft players and StarCraft League watchers overlap, but not as much as you might think. I mean, the, in other words, the people who watch the StarCraft League, I don't think is actually fully a subset of people who play StarCraft. Um, I definitely know people personally, like people I know who are just real-life friends of mine who watch the GSL but don't play StarCraft. Maybe they, they have, but they just it wasn't for them, but they really do enjoy the spectacle of watching it and listening to informed funny people commentate on it and following the players and seeing the rivalries that build up i mean the it's almost an adjunct thing and i wouldn't be surprised if blizzard maybe isn't getting the actual straight up sales boost that you might expect from things like this like i mean maybe they are but it doesn't seem to me that you know playing starcraft at a high level or even at all, is necessarily a prerequisite for enjoying competitive StarCraft, watching competitive StarCraft. Right. Uh, but that said, you couldn't even have, it would be impossible to even have a spectacle like this without a large, robust community that is keeping the, the sort of metagame you know, limber and, and interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think that having, having this sort of, you know, pro- the, these professional leagues, having this serious level of competition... Um, do you think that adds to StarCraft's perceived value? Do you think people value it more highly as a pursuit because there is this serious competition taking place? Well, one thing I think it well that that's probably true in South Korea more than almost anywhere else, just because that's the only country with a really um, robust, uh, sort of ongoing, profitable uh, competitive scene. But in terms of just the community, generally speaking, I think it certainly helps in keeping it relevant, right? So, I mean, I think a, a, the problem a lot of multiplayer games have, and RTS games as well, is that over time, it just sort of, they're, they're, they're not, it's not in the news as much, there aren't very many people buying the game anymore, and so you, it ends up, you end up with these very um, exclusionary, very uh, walled-off communities where the people who are left are just absurdly good, and it, there are very few people actually coming into the game fresh, uh, whereas I think a lot of what you get from these this ongoing league spectacle is just a sense that the game is still around and the game is still evolving and the game is still growing and and it just it it keeps in people's minds it keeps it if nothing else at least active in communities you know maybe not on big news sites but certainly on forum communities and things like that and so there there's a sense that yeah this is this is still around this is still vibrant if I go buy this game. It's not just going to be a ghost town or populated entirely by insane robots who will just destroy me instantly. You know, there, there's still enough players that you can get placed at whatever point on the, the sort of matchmaking ladder, and there's probably someone else there at your level. Yeah, it's, it's really a matter of mind share. I mean, Blizzard yeah. has, through, uh, through some hard work certainly, but also a lot of it is just fortuitous, uh, Blizzard's properties uh, have just had this... This opportunity, I mean, that whether it's World of Warcraft or, or StarCraft or, or Diablo, uh, they have such enduring communities, and it's, it's, I maintain that it has less to do with, with any sort of design prowess and a lot more to do with, with just some great branding and luck of things like Korea springing up around uh, this StarCraft uh, esports phenomenon. Um, I, I don't think there's anything, and I'd be curious if you guys would agree with me, I don't think there's anything inherent in StarCraft II to, to make it, to, to give it this kind of community and the design of StarCraft II, uh, other than sort of, I, I think it could just as easily be something like Supreme Commander II in that spot if history had been a little different. Uh, do you guys agree with that? you think I'm a little crazy for saying that? 
I, th- I think you're 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 basically correct there. I mean, I think that's that's a pretty fair assessment overall. Although I will say that I think uh, I, I think with certainly with StarCraft One and the weird confluence of circumstances that led to it becoming a huge deal first as a as a professional fair in South Korea and you know to a lesser extent elsewhere. I think mm-hmm. that was definitely a, a weird coincidence of of events. But I think. What you see is, you know, as they released Brood War, as they kept patching the game, I do think Blizzard has gained sort of an institutional understanding of how a game needs to be ban- balanced to maintain or maintain a really long-term metagame. I think that's what's that that's what StarCraft does so well, uh, even as it's still fairly old school in terms of its player interface and its mechanics. I think one thing that it did not start out with that Blizzard definitely realized it needed to get, and it has achieved that, and StarCraft II carries on this legacy, is just this this very flexible game design, where there's, there's just... It's just amazing, even from month to month, how much the prevailing strategy changes, and yet, you know, and, and how race balance kind of changes, even without a single patch, in really, really fine, granular ways. And I think... Um, I think more than anything else, Blizzard has just been very, very careful uh, not to stray too far from what they've realized works in that respect. And I think there probably aren't too many other RTSs, even more of, I mean, you know, even including more evolved RTSs, I don't think there are very many that that quite hit that sweet spot in terms of being able simply to support uh, the kind of evolving scene that StarCraft is, has been. Now here, here's where I would take issue with that, Chris. I think the, the kind of balance issues you're talking about are very top-level player concerns. Yeah. I think the average guy who jumps into StarCraft and who's bought it and who's made it popular and successful couldn't care less whether uh, a Zergling has 70 hit points or 80 <laughs> hit points. Right. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff you're talking about, and it's important, but it caters to a very specific type of player. Uh, so I, I kind of question how much that's a part of its success and more a part of the kind of maintenance you need to do when you're appealing to players that, that operate at that level. Well, hang on. If I, if I can make an analogy there, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of Formula One racing. And I know that for me and a lot of, you know, fellow fans of that sport, um, one, of the, one of the big appeals is that it's – it's a very advanced form of motorsport. The engineering is top-notch. The drivers are brilliant. And there's this this great deal of science and um, technique that go, goes into into this brand of motorsport. And even if you don't really understand what the aerodynamicists are doing, you don't understand what the engineers be, that work on the cars are doing, knowing that that, that, that sort of detailed work, work is happening, um, that, this, that this is a sport that... You know, is is carefully tuned. Um, you know, down to the last detail. Just knowing that, knowing that's the case, um, makes it more appealing. You don't even if you don't understand it, um, you're aware that it that it has this tremendous body of knowledge behind it, and that's what separates it from other forms of, forms of motorsport. And I think you have something similar happening with StarCraft, where there's a lot of people who they'll glance at patch notes. And they'll see how you know values are being tweaked and game balance is shifting. They won't really understand it the way a uh, you know truly elite level player would, but they can see that it's happening, and they can compare that to other RTSs. Rob, do you think that's not happening though? And in Dawn of War Two or Supreme Commander Two, for instance, because I think it is happening in these other games. Well, I, I I just as someone who played Dawn of War two for a long, long, long time and who dearly loved that game and who has pre-ordered Retribution and can't wait for it, I, I I will say I never felt like that game had the same sort of you know extremely fine-tuned set. Like it's just it doesn't feel quite like StarCraft in that way. And I think probably a lot of that has to do with just the fact that StarCraft is sort of more basic and it feels almost more like an elemental game it almost has that chess like feel to it um but dawn of war 2 it doesn't it doesn't strike me as as being quite so precise you know it doesn't i don't have that sense of that that fine switch swiss watch kind of under underneath the the hood there but i, I, I will say tom i, I mm-hmm. think if starcraft 2 had been re- you know if if a game that was identical to starcraft 2 in every way was released this year or last year but StarCraft had never existed. That whole phenomenon had never existed. 
I think you're entirely right that it, it certainly would not I mean, right. be, as, be as successful. I mean, and even if it was still a sequel to a successful game that didn't have that same phenomenon, certainly it wouldn't have, there wouldn't be the same momentum behind it. There, there would just be no way. I mean, the, StarCraft had such a, such a huge, weird, unique presence that it does completely <laughs> distort, you know, any objective measuring of, of how any game branded StarCraft could ever do. And and to be fair, Chris uh, and and Rob, with your F one analogy, I mean, I'm constantly hearing people. I mean, whether or not it's true, this is the perception of StarCraft that it has this this finely crafted. Chris, you use the word precision uh, and control and granularity that other RTSs don't have. And and I disagree so strongly with that. <laughs> but that's that's the narrative that that is passed around about StarCraft too. So <laughs> uh, whether depending on you know the the I think the the popular perception is definitely on you guys' side. Well, um, I, I think part of that, though, I mean, I think almost part of that has to be due to, again, the existence of these elite-level players um, who, with, without very much effort, you can see the level at which people are playing StarCraft II. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure you, can, you, you can look at other RTSs and say, well, show me who the best players are. And No, you absolutely, I think you can. I mean, it, it just doesn't have... As it doesn't stress the celebrity of the good players as well as StarCraft II does, but but there are definitely leaderboards. There are competitions for other RTSs. There are just amazing plays at work. Uh, it just doesn't have the infrastructure built around it. I think that, that StarCraft II does. Well, well, that's that's something I kind of wanted to get into what, when you were asking: Has Blizzard done anything, you know, inherent with StarCraft? Um, and, and at that's... the design level, at the design level, I, I mean, because I do think, right. and I want to talk about this, they've done things like with Battle.net, like they've done amazing right. things for yes. the community, yep. but I think at the design level, StarCraft II is a very good RTS, but I don't think it's anything uh, unique, necessarily. Uh, a lot of that uniqueness comes from how canny Blizzard has been at building a player community. I think there's something admirable in StarCraft's Starcraft 2's design simply in its restraint. I mean, I, I think, sure. uh, you know, like the, uh, I mean, even within the context of its own, of the of the sort of the sort of design era from from which it 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 was born, um, you know, it, earlier in the beta, like for example, the Terran Thor unit was even bigger than it is now. It's already one of the biggest units in the game, but it was much bigger, and it it, it was scaled back. I mean, there's, you look at most other RTSs, and I I feel like um, perhaps just perhaps part of it is just you know an attempt to to get noticed in a genre that th- doesn't have quite the same pull it once did. But you know I think you see a lot more spectacle within the game design itself in a lot of RTSs. Whereas StarCraft II, it actually sort of shocks me in, in terms of how Spartan it still is, and I think that's actually something that goes part and parcel with uh, facilitating high level composite uh, competition, which is that there is this sense of you know. I, there are a couple kind of big sparkly units for each race, for each race, but they're far more fragile than than you'd even think they were by looking at them. Like, there's definitely this sense that there isn't like a, you know, some some big thing that's going to go and just stomp stomp over your enemies. You're it's always incumbent on you to manage things in the most nuanced way. Um, whereas again, when I think about something like Dawn of War two, I think a lot of just crazy shit, you know, I can just call down this insane bird. Like I play orcs in that game and I can just, I can call down this ridiculous hail of meteors from the sky. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's hilarious and it's cool, but it's, it's not the kind of thing I associate with the, the high level of competition at which Starcraft two operates, like something that chaotic, just mm-hmm. blizzard would, would seems to keep itself from from dealing from from sort of trading in that kind of mechanic, and I think that's actually something that you can point to and say, uh, you know, I, I think for what Blizzard's trying to achieve in the sort of broad community of the game, I think is is quite successful. I don't know, Chris. That that Protoss mothership is a little over the top. Yeah, but no one ever uses it because as soon as it's out, it's a glass cannon. Like you bring it out there, and it's just everyone shoots at it, and it's dead instantly. It's hilarious. That's how I feel about my uh, Ultra Lisks. I'm like, what, right. why isn't this like some yeah. Titan? You know, what the heck? Right. Right. I will say actually, there was an amazing, there was an amazing moment in the in MLG, which is the the big, uh, I guess at this point the biggest North American uh, circuit, the major league gaming, where uh, this guy Huck. Um, 
in in a, a a really major match. I forget if it, maybe it was the semifinals or maybe even the finals. I can't recall. But he he just decided to go for it and open with a mothership. He just did a, a mothership, <laughs> mothership rush. And as soon as as soon as the audience got wind of what was going on, the whole place just erupted. I mean, it just went the the you know the, the arena just went ape shit. Um, so I mean, it's I think that's almost that in itself almost signifies how much those big uh, centerpiece units aren't a part of the game that it's like this monumental affair when someone at, at the highest level even decides to make one. Right. Right. Uh, so, so two things that come to, to mind for me that I, I, I really want to talk about in terms of relating to Starcraft, uh, like what can we learn from Starcraft that other games can use in terms of encouraging a, a player community? Like, let's talk about some of the things that, that I think Starcraft 2 does does correctly that other games sh- should copy. And then another thing I want to table, and I hope you don't mind me throwing this out here, Rob, because I think this is an important part of what we're talking about and something I feel strongly about, is what can games do to foster a more welcoming community? Uh, to, to basically discourage people from being jerks. Because uh, I feel that's an important part of player community that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, that's interesting. Well, I mean, just because on my mind, you you brought that up. You brought that up second. Um, you know, something that something that's weird to me is when, when I play a match in StarCraft. Uh, the first thing that happens is I get a little message from my opponent, uh, GL HF, mm-hmm. like every single game. And I go play. I go to play other RTSs. That doesn't happen. Um, either it's 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 really it, most most of what I experience is stony silence, and it's it's strange to me how I don't know there, there's like this a soft spoken sportsmanship really um, that exists that I that I don't find in other communities. I think that may actually be a trickle down effect in some way from the the competitive scene. Like there's behavior to emulate. You know, like when people are doing something professionally, they're expected to act in a relatively professional way, and I think right. just the mere existence of that trickles all the way down to the players who may not even is there like you know, co- is there like a stuff. code of conduct among uh, professional players it's just it's expe- you know quite frequently they'll do the GLHF it's it's pretty con- you know the, the way you officially the way you signify defeat, defeat is by typing gg for good game like that you know in in a, in a tournament setting that actually is binding in that respect so i mean th- there is i think sort of a an enforced code almost well i think that's one of the big problems with uh, online gaming is that Competitive sports teach good sportsmanship, and Call of Duty doesn't. Uh, and, <laughs> and it seems to me one of the byproducts of video gaming being popular is we're getting a generation that learns their sportsmanship from Call of Duty. Yeah, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And, and it's terribly unfortunate, and Infinity Ward's been absolutely reprehensible in that regard by encouraging it with jokes about fags and all the pot references in their game. Uh, but I, StarCraft II, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Chris, because it has this esports layer to it, I think there is some trickle down where people learn sportsmanship from this this competitive sports layer, uh, and that gets codified with the GLHF and 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 the GG. Um, one of the reasons I want to bring this up is because I've been playing a game that that I think a lot more of us should be talking about, and I predict a lot more of us will be talking about. It's a two-year-old RTS that just got an injection of nearly $400 million from China last week. Oh, yes. And it, it's League of Legends. And League of Legends is infamous for its, <laughs> yeah. its asshole player base. And, and I think it lives up to that. You know, well, League, good League of Legends mm-hmm. and its ilk, you know, I mean, with all the other sort of uh, Defense of the Ancient-derived games, they, they're, no, they're all notorious for that. And I think there's a reason for that, Chris. And, and part of the reason is the, the way the game plays the pacing when, when you're playing a, a, an rts like starcraft where there's there's you know it's very important you know where actions per minute matter uh you don't want to waste your apms calling the other guy a fag you know that's yeah, that's three time. button yeah, presses yeah. uh, league of legends and, and you're right this is absolutely a factor of this uh defense of the ancients gameplay model there's a lot of downtime in these games they're heavily team-based you know, each element on the team can be a, can be a weak point. Um, especially League of Legends encourages serious, serious min-maxing. And, and from that, you get this sense of the right way to play. A lot of people who play it a lot feel very strongly about there's a right way to play and a wrong way to play. And in a lot of cases, they're actually correct. Uh, and, and they've got time while their heroes are moving back and forth or, or whatever to type that into a chat window. 
Um, it's also a game that throws people of varying levels of skill together. Uh, so you'll have somebody who plays a lot next to somebody who's kind of new and doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, now, does it offer ways to sort those experience levels? It When you actually join the what's called a normal game, it will rank you with other people who are your skill level. However, something unique to League of Legends, and I think it's part of the problem, is that it's a free-to-play game. So players who are experienced might have multiple accounts. There's nothing to prevent multiple accounts. Blizzard, I loved Blizzard's thinking behind uh, having a real ID association with it with an account. Uh, you, you know, they backed off from that for varying reasons, I can understand, but but it's harder to do that in a Blizzard game, to just create a Smurf account or a separate account or an anonymous well, account. They, even, though they, even though they backed off real ID for forums, that, mm -hmm. that still is in place to the extent that you can't get a new Battle.net account without actually buying another game. So right, that's, exactly. that still exists in that, to that extent. But I do feel, though, like I, I think behind that Real ID initiative was this idea of tying online gamings into online social media and identity. And, and I think that's a positive step, ultimately. You know, there are concerns yeah. about things yeah, like protecting children and women being harassed. And I understand those concerns, and they're very legitimate. But I think it's an admirable goal to remove this sense of anonymity and, and one-off sessions from online gaming, creating this sense of a persistent identity. Uh, I, I fully support that, and I, I, you know, I look forward to seeing where that goes with Battle.net. But right now, there's really nothing like that in League of Legends. So, Rob, you asked, is there a way to make sure you're playing with other lower-level players? There is, but there's nothing to prevent other players from creating lower-level accounts when they want. Um, so I, I think there's this perfect storm in League of Legends, which is an incredibly successful game, and it deserves its success. It's a fantastic game, uh, but it's also a perfect storm of, of how to create a community of assholes. Uh, and I've certainly experienced some of that. They also have, when you join a, a League of Legends match, uh, you are going to get the same amount of experience regardless of what you do. You get one sum if your team wins, you get another sum if your team loses. So if you just want to join a game and park back in the base and do nothing, you know, if your team doesn't win, yeah. you can go off and make a sandwich, you're going to get experience points. And there's, there's I think, a lot of opportunities for abuse of the, the gameplay system like that. Uh, and, and that further creates amongst the players who feel protective of the game, um, they, they want to police it. And if they suspect people are griefing it or not playing right or, or just throwing a match, it rightly makes them angry. Now, do you get, like, in-server witch hunts? You know, I don't... I I would not be... I don't, I don't know. I, just because if somebody... Somebody can go create another account and do this. So it, it's really hard to pin down an individual, I, I think, in, in League of Legends. Yeah. Um, uh, so I've been... I, I've been just... It's been a real eye-opening experience to jump into such a fantastic game that, that, for the most part, the players can be very helpful. And after a game, when people sit down and chat outside of the heat of battle, because it can also be incredibly frustrating uh, as, as you sort of learn the systems. Most of the time after a game, when people sit down and chat, it's very friendly, very supportive. But in-game, I've just seen some huge jerky behavior. Uh, and and I don't know that it, the guys at Riot Games, A, care about that. I don't, I don't know if they do or not. Or B, have any plans to do anything to address it, even if they did care, care about it. So let me yeah. let me ask you why why are people getting so invested in in the in these games? I mean, is is there is ranking a big deal in that community? So again, I think that's part of the business model. League of Legends is absolutely brilliant for what it brings to the free to play table. The way League of Legends works, and I think this is a this is a, a holdover from the Defense of the Ancients uh, concept, is you've got you have literally seventy eight different heroes. You don't play as an army; you play as one dude. Uh, uh, Rob, you played Demigod, so you, you know that basic model. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris, you mentioned Defense of the Ancients, so I, I presume you know how it works. But you've just got one dude. There's 78, you pick one dude. Any given week, when you log into League of Legends, you can play, I think they have, is it seven or eight of them, available for free. And you play all you want. And you can even, as you're playing, earn some of their uh, sort of in-game money, just little tiny sums of it. But what happens is that after a week, they take away those eight, and they give you eight more. So ideally, during the week, you've gotten attached to one of those units. You know, that's the guy you've been playing. That's the guy you've learned. And now, if you want to play him before he comes up for free again right. in 
whatever, 10 weeks, you have to pay your, you know, seven, eight dollars to unlock him. Uh, so I, I think it creates this this really powerful sense of, of personal attachment. You know, you, you know, Chris, I don't know who you play. Like, I have a sense of attachment to the Zerg in StarCraft. Right. Uh, and imagine if there were 78 opportunities for me to get that sense of attachment to a game. And, right. and I think that's what League of Legends does. Yeah, I mean, and I, that se- I mean, again, that seems common to that genre as well. Just that notion of having so many, you know, so many different characters to choose from. Um, which I always find really interesting. Like, I remember when uh, Riot Games was... Um, and I actually, you know, the, when it comes to ways to build a community, you know, when Riot Games was starting out, I remember I did a lot of interviews with those guys, and they were talking about their plans to release content, and just, you know, they were like, oh, and we're going to release new characters every week, and do this and that. And I'm like, Gee, man, that seems really ambitious. But, you know, it does seem to be doable in that genre to to just keep populating uh, the world with more and more and more of these heroes. I mean, and I guess it does seem to work out. I mean, it probably helps that it's a team-based game, um, you know, as opposed to just one-on-one. Um, so that, so they, they're mainly, from a balanced perspective, concerned about, broadly speaking, is a team of a few of these guys going to be, you know, roughly even against a team of another few of these guys. But right. um, just, be, you know, having some aspect of your game that you can constantly keep adding to, I mean, that, that certainly helps with, helps with retaining a community. Well, and they're balanced. They're they're I think having real teething problems with this mm. sense of balance that you talk about Blizzard being so good at, um, and I, I think it's 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 not going to kill them. They're they're doing fine, but I think it's a huge problem in that that game. You know, when you've got seventy eight different units, trying to balance all that stuff is ridiculous, and I don't think you can. And now, do it, they it, all have upgrade tracks too? Uh, so each, it's basically, Rob, if you've played, uh, uh, Warcraft Mm three, it's the heroes from Warcraft three in that they start off with three spells. Each time they get experience points, they can level up one of those three spells. When they hit a certain threshold, they get a fourth Uber spell. Um, so that's the basic advancement track, uh, within a match. Now, what they further do is there's persistence outside the match, and I feel this is a this is a hugely important part of building a community. The persistence outside the match unlocks sort of the equivalent of god spells you can use in the game, as well as something like a talent tree in World of Warcraft, where you build a set of bonuses on a, on different trees that apply to any character you're playing. Furthermore, there are these little runes you can buy that you slot into uh, your your account. And that applies to all of the characters. Uh, so while you're leveling up within a match, you also have this persistent leveling that applies to your account. And and I feel that sort of thing is a huge it, it's a huge ingredient for how to make a successful game is to give it some sort of persistent presence between matches rather than it just being a one-off where it constantly resets to zero every time. Well, and uh, you get, you get the player to assign greater value to that game to to their investment in these characters absolutely absolutely so i i just i I love what they've done with community even though it it does lead to just some some terrible behavior uh, i've seen in the last two weeks i've probably seen more jerks online than than in all of my time playing uh starcraft 2 well no it's it's free to play so i mean you know you can say well it does all these things to create you know a strong community um but can can other RTSs really learn from this model? I think they can and they will because of how successful it is. I mean, I think in a way, League of Legends is the future of strategy gaming. And you look at what uh, Ensemble is going to be doing with Age of Empires Online. You can see that there. And I think you even see a little bit of that with how StarCraft II was ultimately broken up into three separate games. Uh, and and I, I think they've done a great job of introducing StarCraft II I think some of us had a concern that it was going to feel incomplete and they were holding stuff back. And I, I don't get that sense at all about StarCraft II. No, it feels like such a complete not. package. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they've obviously got the, the, the Zerg uh, episode next year and then the Protoss one the year after. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think this is the, the wave of the future. Well, I, I have to say, um, again, just to bring up Dawn of War 2, I guess, I don't actually really necessarily know how specifically successful that game's been, but I, I really love um, what Relic has done with that game on an ongoing basis. Um, I mean, they, you know, they've, 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 that series in particular has always had a lot of expansions, but um, Dawn of War 2, it feels like Relic's done a, a really good job pacing it. 
you know, so when there's, it seems like it's just kind of starting to, to kind of become old hat. Like there's something there, you know, at the last stand edition, I thought was such a great, such a great free addition to that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, th- I think w- one of the things that was so brilliant about the last stand is that, you know, unlike, unlike a major, unlike a major expansion where there's, you know, this whole single player campaign and the, you know, it's trying to revitalize the sort of traditional multiplayer. The last stand was such a just pick up and go mode. It was such a quick hit, you know, and it was really, I, I had hours spent with friends, um, just go, just going in there whenever we just had some time to, to uh, go through a round of that. And it felt like the perfect mode for kind of like the midlife slump almost of, of the game. It's like everyone has kind of played through the single player. They've kind of gotten their fill of the multiplayer. Here is this just really fun little thing that capitalizes on your familiarity with the game, uh, but doesn't ask you necessarily to go in too deep. And now, you know, a while later... Now they're they're gearing up for their their big huge next big almost might as you know almost a new game expansion with retribution and you know after you know the last stand was kind of this nice diversion for a while and um, for me the whole life cycle of Dawn of War Two has just been absolutely fantastic like it's never it's never been a game that you know unlike Starcraft for example which occupies a very different part of my brain I don't feel like I have to keep up with it or I'll just forget how to do anything which is which is how i feel about starcraft uh, but dawn of war 2 i feel like it's just this nice thing that's always there and like i can almost always count count on relic just kind of chugging away on something in the background that'll come out and i'll, I'll buy whatever the latest thing is and it'll be it'll recharge the game for me for a while and um i think that that has gone a, a really long way in in maintaining that game's community and and keeping it keeping the sense of like oh yeah this is something that's kind of still going on i, I haven't played the beta for retribution yet because i actually pre-ordered a physical copy but um i uh i you know i i I assume it's there are a lot of people playing it it's it's been on the near the top of the steam bestseller list for a while now well there yeah you know adding the imperial guard which uh is both new and familiar to those of us who played the first dawn of war it's like oh yeah these guys i remember them uh you know here's their interpretation in the dawn of war 2 gameplay uh that's that's a great addition and you're right it adds to that sort of you know it revives it from this midlife slump but i can't help but think chris that those guys over there at at thq specifically and also relic are casting a covetous glance at Riot Games. Oh, I'm sure. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> they just they well, just, just made one. Have plenty of heroes they, online, right? Well, they just canceled that. I know. Right. I'm wondering what's behind that. But you know, they oh, they, they did. Gotta, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, all these developers have to be looking at Riot and thinking they just released one new character. You know, that's the work that they did to, <laughs> right. to sort of get a boost in terms of press coverage, in terms of the player base being excited about something. You know, yeah. they just make a new character with four new powers and they throw it in there. That's, you know, the economic sense that makes. I, I think strategy gaming is just cannot deny. And part of me hates that. You know, I, I loved listening to Troy tear into Civ uh, 5 for their approach with downloadable civs. But I just think, you know, these companies are going to see something like League of Legends, and, you know, that's the kind of stuff we're going to be seeing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of almost a microcosm of what's going on more broadly, you know, when you look at how much money people can make with such a small team and such a small amount of time with the social game, and, you know, to a lesser extent with uh, uh, kind of the iPhone, iPad, etc. Um, th- that's a little more traditional, but especially the social games, and you look at that, it's like, man, the ROI... Uh, yeah, <laughs> perspective on that is pretty out of control compared to what what this industry is accustomed to. I, I want to bring up something else too that I wish more RTSs would do, as far as this this persistent uh, the, the the meta game stuff between the matches, and that's letting you uh, personalize things. And StarCraft II does this. League of Legends does this. Uh, I'd be curious if you guys can think of any others. But I love how in StarCraft II, you unlock badges. That's no big deal. But one of the cool things you can do is on your profile page, and whenever you beat someone in a match, you know they're going to look at your profile page to see what ranking you are. On your profile page, you pick three little badges that you want to show off. Uh, And that's just a brilliant little touch. You know, the same with when the screen is loading. Uh, when a game is loading, you get a player portrait that's unlocked based on something you've accomplished. And so if you learn you, those portraits, some of those some of those portraits communicate quite a bit. Exactly, exactly. One of, you, it, one it's of those a little portraits, bit of psychological intimidation at times. Yeah. One of those portraits communicates that it is based on the face of Bill Roper. I'm like ninety nine percent sure. 
Wait, do you know which one it is? Oh, I can't remember. It's uh, actually, you know what? I think it's an actual face of one of the guys in the game. It's one of the Terran pilots, um, and he's 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 got a goatee, and he's got he's got goggles, and he looks exactly like Bill Roper, who used to uh, <laughs> used to work for Blizzard, and then he went in Manhillgate, London, and, and stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure it's like I don't, I don't. There's no way it's not directly based on that guy because it looks exactly like him, and I think I think that's hilarious. And those are great. That's a great way to do Easter eggs too. With, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what else they do in StarCraft that. Uh, the League of Legends is a little bit more like this. Like those those little player portraits and the badges are only things you see outside of the game. But one of the cool things you get in StarCraft Two is you also unlock emblems that yeah. appear around the base of your 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 main building when the game starts. Uh, and I just love that little touch that in the game here's a stamp and you have to earn those as well. Um, and and the the counterpart for this in League of Legends is they sell skins for the characters and you can only, and, and these, I, I think they must be a huge deal for them because some of these skins cost more than the actual character. And, and of course, most all of the characters, if I'm not mistaken, have multiple skins you can buy. So if you're used to playing one character, you can, you can dress it up, you know, you can pay real money. And, and part of me laughs at this and thinks it's ridiculous. Why would I ever do it? But as I'm starting to get attached to certain characters, and because the game is so single character centric and you're, you spend most of the game sitting there looking at that character, I find myself thinking, you know, I, I think $7 for a new skin is fair. I, right. I, <laughs> I, I want to see Karma dressed up in, a, in the, the geisha girl outfit or I want to see the little girl with the gun in her goth outfit. Uh, you know, like there's, there's something there. I think that's very effective is letting people personalize stuff within the game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely spent. It's not quite the same because, as I recall, it's not. There isn't a persistence element associated with it. But in Dawn of War Two, I definitely spent a lot of time uh, painting. You know, setting up the uh, all the little colors for all the exactly. aspects, the, the different oh, yeah. areas of trim on my guys. Like I, de- I mean, I, I don't well, know. Well, that, that was that such stuff. a relief for me because I could finally paint my army without you know screwing it up like I always did with the actual <laughs> figurines. <laughs> right. But I was like, oh, finally, yeah. I can you know bring my dream to life. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also, a great that was call. It's I a, exactly. Yeah. It's a really fun thing to do. Also, I remember. I mean, it, this might also be true of the base game, but most recently, I, I, I played Last Stand in that game. You know, when you're just in the mid in mid match kind of lo- or uh, sorry, intermatch lobby thing, when you're just kind of waiting for everyone to get settled, uh, you can go into it from there and kind of mess around with stuff, and it's just a nice way to pass the time. Um, you know, doing something that adds a little personal touch. Right. But to go back to the to what you're talking about with profiles, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's one of the things that I that I think Blizzard handled so well is that in StarCraft Two, the the moment you log you log on, multiplayer is clearly half the game, and your interactions with every other player, you know, you click on them, you you check out their profile immediately. The game is sort of you know telling you about how they performed in the multiplayer side mm-hmm. of things, um, and I think that's sort of you know your your multiplayer. Um, abilities. That's also your identity in StarCraft Two. And if, if we're talking about like getting people involved, getting them invested, um, you know, there's something there's something really compelling about this. Is what people are going to see. Oh my god, I, I gotta I gotta pick up the pace here because um, you know my profile looks like shit. You know that guy looks <laughs> awesome. I got I gotta you know I gotta make it look so I lo- I gotta look like less of a wimp. Um, and you you know you start exploring someone's profile and you can start pulling up their match history. Um, you can start looking at their achievements and, you know, start start assembling a picture of what they've accomplished in this game. And, the, and people can do the same thing for you. Um, and I think that just underscores the how seriously Blizzard takes the multiplayer, but also how seriously maybe you should take it. Um, and that's something that other RTSs really don't do. Um, you can... They, a lot of them will just sort of tuck their multiplayer option, um, you know, almost off to the side, and you, you know, you got to sort sort of go looking for it. And then when you click on it, there's really nothing there except, you know, do you want a quick match? Um, yeah, no, it's very true. It's very cryptic. It's like, uh, I guess there's a multiplayer here. Like, what is it exactly? Exactly. It's very, I find it's, that actually quite often, and it, it it in many cases I just won't bother loading up the multiplayer because it seems like such a crapshoot. It's like I have no idea. If there's going to be anyone there, I have no exactly. idea what it's all about. The game seems almost apologetic that it's there in the first right. place, yeah. Yeah. and then you go in, and there's really, there's really no information about what what you're getting into. 
Yeah. Uh, you go in, you go into Supreme Commander uh, Subcom Two, for instance, and you know you start trying to find a quick match, and it just it tells you that it's searching for you get a skill value, right? And your default value is like fifteen hundred, and it goes up, I think, into you know the uh, like three thousands or something, um, probably quite a bit higher. But it starts searching for a skill range around where you are, and I don't know what those numbers mean. It's just it's a number. And I, I really don't know what that signifies, but it's this is you know you're just going to be paired off with somebody based on this arbitrary number, and then you're going to play a quick match. And I think that it, it's very different than in StarCraft, where you you really know where you stand because from the first you are sorted. You know, it's almost like you know the sorting hat comes out, right? You play your five matches, and then you are put in you know you you are put in one of the leagues, and then you're put in a division, and then you're ranked within that division, and it it really gives you a precise idea of where you are located, you know, in this community. Right. Whereas a lot of these other RTSs, you know, you well let's go look at the leaderboard, and the leaderboard is like eight thousand names long, and you're you know you're located somewhere in the middle of this endless pack, um, you know, and there's there's a dead and abandoned accounts everywhere, and it really kind of renders it worthless, I think. Yeah, for uh, Supreme Commander 2 was one of my favorite games of last year, and I'm just so disappointed that gas-powered games designed a fantastic game, and there's no infrastructure for it to be a successful multiplayer game like that. Like, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Rob. So, Rob, you've been jumping into Ruse lately, haven't you? Yeah. Is that the same way? Like, it just ranks you against someone, and there's there's nothing there? Like, has Ubisoft done anything to make Ruse an enduring multiplayer community? <sighs> You know, I mean, again, if you you know compared to Star StarCraft Two, like everything looks kind of coarse. Um, <laughs> w- with Ruse, I think it runs into the same problem that Subcom does in that there's really no sense of ladder rankings having any meaning um, or multiplayer performance um, giving you some sort of identity. There's no there's no sense of community, right? So it's I- I'm playing with strangers all the time, and it's not like they can check out what I've done. So I, I think that that aspect is already missing from the game um and i don't really get the sense that i'm playing for anything right like in starcraft you're playing to you know move up into a different league um in ruse you're you're you're, there there are supposedly like divisions there's like the beginner division the novice division but nobody really cares about that as far as i can tell but what i will say is that uh it it does have it does have some sort of it does have a matchmaking feature Mm-hmm. Um, and you you can play ranked matches, and you know from my experience, um, it, it's it's really it, it's really kind of sad because I go into Ruse and I I think the world of Ruse, um, but I go in and I try to find a quick match, and five minutes go by, six uh. minutes go by, and mm-hmm. it, you know I, I you know I'm starting to like spot clean my desk. Um, you know, I'm like, you know, like, like tabbing up to see my checking account coming back in and nope, game still hasn't found anyone. Um, and you know, when the game finally matches you with somebody, I have to say, like the results are really satisfying. Um, it's not like, it's, it's not like a lot of, um, RTSs where, oh, you, you finally been matched with somebody. Oh, you got your ass kicked. Well, that was fun. Uh, with Ruse, I, I do find that the matches are, are really well you know the the mashup's really well calibrated. The problem is finding the finding it in the first place, mm-hmm. and where where what really gets me down is, um, you know if I if I just have you know an hour to kill, and I want to get some quick multiplayer in, I'll give Ruse a try and I'll give it those five minutes, and if it doesn't match me, I'm going to go to StarCraft because I know that I'll be playing a match within two minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that's a powerful draw. And, and what makes it worse is the moment you tell somebody, you know, they're like, well, I mean, you know, are, uh, you know, are people playing it? And you're like, yeah, some, um, and, and right there, they, they're, they're going they're, you know, you, they're vapor trail <laughs> heading back to the, heading back to battle net. And I, and I think that's the problem that a lot of these communities face is that unless you achieve this, this critical mass, if you've got players idling, waiting to find their matchups, they're going to look elsewhere, and you're going to have people sort of rotating out of the community as they get frustrated and go to greener pastures, so that when new people come in, it's going to be the same sort of moribund community. Um, and, and I think, you know, that I think that is a huge problem, and I don't really know how to solve it. Um, 
because I mean any any of these RTSs has to be aware that there is another game that's going to deliver these matches very quickly, very reliably, and reliable service is really important to people as it should be. Um, but then you're kind of at the mercy of how many people are playing at a given time. Yeah, I, I think the way you solve it is you a make a good game and you b copy BattleNet. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, much easier said than done. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Valve has a Defense of the Ancients clone coming out. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing how well Steam uh, provides that sort of Battle.net function. You know, Steam has a friends list. It has achievements. It lets you set up events. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing Valve plug a strategy game into the Steam infrastructure that they've got. Uh, I have high hopes for seeing how that'll turn out. Yeah. Well, I, I think... Oh, good. No, um, well, I was just going to say, I, I I do have high hopes for that because, again, like, Valve has taken the business of, you know, creating a front end for their community very seriously. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you look at your Steam friends list and, you know, that alone invites you to play all these different games and it sells you on these different games. Mm-hmm. I think what, what's been frustrating as I sort of tour these other RTSs is that, and I'm not sure it's really up to the developers. I think it might be more down to the publishers, but somebody took the time to design a really great game, and then they're all saddled with this really bare bones, you know, lowest bidder um, multiplayer front end mm-hmm. that is a huge turnoff compared to what Blizzard created. End War, and- for instance. <laughs> My beloved End War died a, an untimely death two years ago. I'm sorry, but yeah. Chris, I interrupted you. Oh no, it's fine. I was just going to say um, it's not it's not a huge point um, with um, with Valve's game, which which they're actually calling Dota Two, which is interesting. Um, I will be interested to see where they go with that because Valve um, traditionally uh, and with pretty much all their games, I think, as I recall, um, on PC they they pretty resolutely stick to the uh, kind of server browser format. I mean, like you can go and they have quick match buttons and like Left 4 Dead, I think, but. You know, broadly speaking, their games are of the type they're they're shoot they're first person shooters, which are generally the kind that you can join at any stage. You know, you can you can jump in there uh, into the middle of a server when it's happening, and you'll spawn into a guy. Um, whereas strategy games have never have never been like that. Uh, they're totally different. You know, they 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 get matched up at the beginning, and then they go, and the same people are in the game when it starts as when it finishes, and that's it. Um, and I'll be really, and, and it, it requires a very different kind of front end, and a, you know, it's a very different kind of lobby experience. And I'll, I'll be actually really curious to see how, how, you know, what Valve's take on that for for Dota Two is. Well, you don't think it would be reminiscent of Left 4 Dead? I think Left 4 Dead is definitely the, you know, that that's the closest thing there. Um, is is are there? God, I, I this is I'm such. Uh, this is so embarrassing, not not knowing this better than I do because I haven't played the game in a while. But on the um, as I recall, for the verses in Left 4 Dead 2, that still has the traditional server browser, right? Or is that? Um, you you can go that route, right? But I, I think most people I think most people still get to it through the, the uh, matchmaking, thing. yeah. Right, right. Or you, you round yeah. up your friends, you create a right. lobby, and then people right. join. And, right. But I think the the more important model for looking at what we can expect from for, for uh, Dota 2 and what we can be excited about is just how much love and post-release support has gone into Team Fortress 2. I mean, yeah. Left 4 Dead 2 is a great thing, but Team Fortress 2, it's an established, it was an established gameplay model. You know, you know Team Fortress was a mod, just like Defense of the Ancients. Uh, and, and all this crazy stuff they've done with unlockable weapons and, you know, the hats, for Pete's sake, just that hat, the, yeah. the, the, the sheer glee that goes into the silliness of those hats and, and what people get out of that. See, I got to be honest, that turns me off. But it's, it's strictly optional, Rob. It, the thing is, I think if you're into the game already, if you like the game and you can do something to get a silly hat or... Uh, like, no, like, I, I don't just mean the hats, though. I, I mean the, the incredible number of new weapons that have been added to the game. Right. You know, and, I have to... S- okay, okay, sorry. Well, no, and again, you, you get to that point. It, it, becomes the, um, it becomes the League of Legends problem. Like, is this, very is this really it's balanced? Very yeah. You yeah know, can, and, can this possibly be balanced? And I think the answer right. is no. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, no, but, but I, you know what I find really interesting about Team Fortress 2, though, is that, uh, one, I don't think Valve has ever really had designs on kind of the high-level kind of professional scene like as far as i know they haven't spoken a lot about that in terms of something they're really shooting for but but also 
I think they've done a really interesting, possibly unprecedented, or at least, uh, you know, there isn't any example quite so well known as Team Fortress 2 of a company radically changing the sort of tenor of their game over time based on just what they think it needs at any given point. Like the, the team and, and, you know, Rob, I I think you indicated, you know, this is the part that kind of turns you off about it, but I find it kind of fascinating that the, the game team fortress two is now has so much different and not just more stuff, but just different kinds of, of things than it did when the game originally came out. And I find it really interesting that valve is, perfectly willing to say yeah you know this is just this is part of the game now and with a with a, a multiplayer only game that is always synced to steam they it's, it's that's actually possible to do and i my my instinct would be yours my instinct traditionally would be yeah i don't I, this is turning into something unrecognizable i don't i don't know what i think about this but i actually went um oh, just actually coincidentally a week or two ago i loaded up team fortress 2 um because i had some friends playing it and I just jumped right back into it, and you know, it didn't it didn't feel disjointed at all, even though there was so much new stuff in there for me. Because fundamentally, the actual things you're still doing are pretty much the same. And maybe some guy's shooting at me with a a gun that's a little weirder than before. But I mean, it, they they've done a really good job of sort of keeping the character of the game the same, even though all of the there, there's all these other syst- even systems layered on top of it. You know the this store and everything, um, and I, I think that's a that's a model that other. I, I'm curious to see if any other developers in in whatever genre, strategy or what, um, adopt where they're just willing to say, you know what, in 2007, Team Fortress 2 was this game. In 2011, Team Fortress 2 is this game. It's this is just what this game has become. Um, I I think that's the case with League of Legends. You know, it's two years old. I didn't play it two years ago. I, I have no idea what it was like then, but the amount of stuff they've layered on top of it, whether it's metagame, you know, bonuses that you either buy or unlock or accumulate. Uh, I, I, and that I, I think we've seen that with, with League of Legends. It's very similar. Uh, you know, but I, I think in cases like that, I, I would... What, what I'd prefer, what would make me happiest, the best of both worlds situation, would be if... There was there there was the mode that's always evolving, always changing. Um, you know, all this new stuff keeps being added in. But then, if I also had the option of playing some sort of slow, much slow, much more slowly evolving, uh, like competition, <laughs> like competition mode, right? Something that isn't as stripped down. Yeah, yeah. Right. Something that's just been designed more for balance for players who really know how these systems fit together, and not just to entertain. I mean, you know, not that you know, entertainment's a bad thing, but but not just to keep people amused or keep refreshing the game for people, but to to allow people to have a mode that really rewards that that breadth of experience, that depth of experience. I, I think you do have something like that, and it's called StarCraft Two. <laughs> <laughs> but that really is that that Rob. That's a, that's that. I think what you've just pinpointed is the difference. I think between something like StarCraft Two and League of Legends. Uh, StarCraft II, as Chris was saying before, it's got that streamed, that streamlined, just the basics kind of gameplay. And League of Legends is just min-max stuff piled on. It can't possibly be balanced. It's there to serve the business model more than the game design, almost. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think I'm nowhere near the level of playing it at this point. But when you max out your 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 level, your your meta level in, in League of Legends, when you get to level 30 and you're playing ranked games, I think when every ranked game starts with teams alternating choosing heroes that are banned from the other team. Uh, <laughs> as like oh, a balancing no. thing. Like you you know, if if this week one hero or they're called champions, one champion is regarded as overpowered, you, you know, each team has the option to knock several champions out of the plane for the other team. Uh, and, and that, to me, says, you know what? I, I think your game isn't, isn't balanced if you're having to let the players balance it on the fly like that. Uh, well, I mean, ideally, somebody would be on, on the back end watching what heroes are being bounced a lot for being imbalanced and adapting to that. Um, that'd be the ideal situation. But could it could just be that they're letting players sort it out. Well, I think, yeah, I think Riot Games is definitely, uh, you know, they're the big times now. You know, they've they've really come into their own, and I think now they have to knuckle down and really deal with issues like that. I don't, I don't think they can just throw new heroes ad nauseum at, at the game anymore. I think they know that that's, that's a big part of what's going on. So, 
you know, as, as we wrap it up here tonight, I, you know, between these two extremes, between between StarCraft Two and League of Legends, um, I mean, it it just sort of seems like our our traditional RTSs uh, in a tight spot. I think traditional everything is kind of in a tight spot, to be honest. Um, you know, I think I think that over the next several years, we're just going to be seeing business models and and design approaches just change almost across the board. I mean, you know, outside of some kind of core blockbuster obvious genres that kind of have their stake very firmly claimed, but you know, I mean, I I think when it comes to multiplayer specifically, I think I think it's going to be changing across genres. And I, I, you know, you use the term tight spot, but I look at the success of League of Legends and StarCraft II, and they're such dramatically different game designs, and they're both so successful, I can't help but think, not that they're in a tight spot, but it's the dawn of a new era, almost. I mean, it's so exciting yeah, to me I, that I didn't both mean of those games are that so successful. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I but, think but it's actually I, been a great era for, for strategy games recently, quite honestly. Well, what, what does worry me a little bit when I, when I look at this, and is where do more traditional turn-based games come into this? You know, what's going to happen to Civ? What's going to happen to Elemental? What, what's going to happen to, to uh, you know, war games? The stuff that Bruce Garrick plays? Or, or you know, is that stuff going to adapt? Is there is there any lesson that they can learn from the great things that League of Legends and StarCraft II are doing? And I, I don't really know the answer, but I think that's <laughs> where the real challenge is. I think the adherents of those games probably don't want them to learn very much from those other games. And I can totally understand that, you know, um, as someone who plays a lot of really sort of weird niche games that don't get a lot of coverage, you know, in a lot of cases, some of those genres, their adherents just kind of want them to stay the same as long as possible. And I, and I think at this point we're at a, that's possible. You know, if you're happy with, you know, if as a developer, you're comfortable with a, fairly known quantity you know an audience that probably isn't going to grow explosively i think it's perfectly fine to stick to your more uh traditional methods you know if you look at paradox or something i mean you know from from the the sort of statements they've made it seems like the the scale that they publish their internal stuff on it seems it seems to be working paradox by the way and 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 i was more thinking chris in terms of things like uh, you know, getting to add the badges to your profile page in StarCraft Two, like oh, creating sure. this persistence between games. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, oh, sure, sure. And it's worth noting, by the way, Chris, Paradox recently added right. achievements. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I know, love, those, but those are, that. but that's pretty. That's pretty low impact, and right in terms of like, in terms of game design impact, right? I mean, that that's. Oh sure, that's sure, but that, that, yeah. But, 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 I mean, this is an issue that I think transcends just the game design. You oh, know, yeah. Like I said, Supreme Commander 2, one of my favorite games from last year, a fantastic design, and they've failed utterly at this issue of how do you make a great community around your game. And I really think that Paradox, it's a low-impact decision to add achievements, but uh, I, I applaud that. You know? Yeah, Not uh, I agree. Add, Absolutely. Give people persistent accounts. I, I want to say, if you're, if you're making a game like, like Elemental or Civ Five. A game that you should look at, uh, Ubisoft released a, a city builder strategy game slash RTS, it's all of these things, called Dawn of Discovery. And oh my Dawn god, Discovery, I love it. So, so <laughs> I love you know, it so much! has this really addictive front end where you're you're earning badges and portraits and you're unlocking decorative bits you can put in your city. Oh, I, don't even, I didn't even know about that stuff. Oh, really? You didn't, That's if a you Dawn didn't of Discovery? Register your, account, register your account on, it's called UbiPlay or some stupid yeah, no, thing. I have, I have an account, yeah. And when you look in that page, you know, it tracks how many, you know, what you've done, you know, what scenarios you've played, how well you've done, uh, what achievements you've got. It's it's this lovely little front end. It's also in uh, Settler 7, if I'm not mistaken. They have something like that yeah, as well. Yeah, they do. But, but Ubisoft, you know, they, they, they throw ruse out there to die. But Settler 7 and Dawn of Discovery, I think, do a great job of, of plugging a single-player game into this sense of community where you're building a profile, you're building what's kind of a Facebook page almost with your achievements and, and your decorations. Uh, even that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. That's I, I, so funny that I wasn't even really aware of that. That's doesn't you probably speak very highly yeah. of my perceptiveness. We well, probably shouldn't know about it, Chris, because it, it makes I think Dawn of Discovery all the more addicting. Like when, I already, when you I, it's it's funny you bring it up actually because I, I literally just like a couple weeks ago I got back into that game. I, I finally picked up the uh, Venice expansion, which I didn't I didn't buy when it was new because I I'd played the original game so much. And and I actually um, speaking of of sort of keeping a game going 
you know, a little longer. I don't know how many people have actually done this, but that the Venice expansion pack um, comes with a, they added multiplayer, and I've been playing co- a cooperative game with a friend of mine uh, for for a couple weeks now. I was actually I was actually um, when when I was asking Rob if we were about to start recording the podcast, it's because if we if we had ended up canceling it, I would have instantly loaded up and I would have called her up to come join me and work <laughs> towards our cathedral, which we're probably never going to actually complete. But uh, it's really cool. It's a very relaxing thing to do, play this game in cooperative mode and just yeah. both kind of plug away. The, 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 they, I don't think they could have foreseen this when they originally designed the game because the co-op mode is like the, the most bare-bones implementation ever. It's literally just two people can control stuff in the game. Like there's nothing keeping you from messing with the stuff the other player is doing or anything. You're just you're just both there and you both basically can do whatever you want. It's uh, an extra but, pair of hands basically. Right. But because of the way the because of the way the design is set up in that game, the way every island is almost completely autonomous. You know, like every every island has its own resource count, it has its own little economy. Um, everything to each island is basically cordoned off, which means it's really, really easy in co-op to just say, well, this is my island, that's your island, I'm going to go settle this other island. Um, it lends itself extremely well to this really basic form of co-op they've done. So I, to anyone who liked Dawn of Discovery but, and never tried co-op, or, or I guess to anyone who hasn't played it at all, I would really recommend giving it a shot. I've been having a total blast with it. And that, by the way, Rob, I know you're trying to wrap up. Sorry, but but I just want to say that's another fantastic way to build a community is let players just group with their friends and and play against bots. Uh, Starcraft 2 is great at having a whole separate cooperative track of advancement on on their little achievement thing. Uh, I love that in Supreme Commander 2, they've been doing so much great work with the AI. That's a great game to just team up with your friends and, and play against the bots. Uh, League of Legends is actually working on, right now you can throw bots in there just kind of for practice, but one of the things that they're going to be rolling out soon is a co-op mode uh, with bots specifically built to, to play the game better and teach you the game and uh, and, and a, a mode that's specifically to encourage you and other friends to play cooperative games. It's a great way to, to get a community going is to, to acknowledge that people don't always want to beat their heads against other people. Sometimes they just want to kick back with their friends and uh, and and goof around beat up on bots or build a city yeah all right and on that note uh before my girlfriend uh you know rips the power cord out of the wall um (laughs) i will bring the show to a close for tonight um i'm so glad we got to plug on discovery i just gotta say i was trying to think of a way this whole episode to bring it in (laughs) but it really had like very little relevance and i'm so glad tommy brought it up Well, I mean, we'll have to do a because I didn't I didn't know about this expansion. We'll have to uh, I don't know perhaps do a show on it soon, and yeah, uh, you can awesome. talk about it all you like. Yes, I uh, will only come back. By the way, Rob, if you promise to once again use the word, I'd, I'd write this down: aerodynamicists. <laughs> <laughs> that made my night. That's a good word. <laughs> That's a great word. <laughs> given given how often I fail to express something adequately and just reach for the nearest F1 reference, uh, there's a very good <laughs> chance you will hear me say that word again. Uh, so consider it done the next time you're on. Uh, but anyway, thanks you guys so much for uh, joining me tonight. And uh, thanks to our listeners for uh, you know giving some of their time as well. Uh, say good night, everybody. Thanks, everyone, and uh, good night. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.